Well, happy Easter, New Day. It's so good to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming out in person. Thanks so much for tuning in online to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, many of you I've never met, my name's Mike, and I'm just so glad that you're with us today because today I want to share a message of hope, and I just think that's something that we can all benefit from. I've selected as our Easter text this year, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And as you can see, the theme of this passage is resurrection hope. So we're not just talking about hope in general today. We're specifically talking about the hope that comes and is made possible through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. As someone once wisely stated, we need hope to cope. And isn't that true? I mean, some of you right now, you're like, how quick is this service going to end? I need to get in some comfy pants and I need some good Easter food in my mouth. Well, that, that's hope, okay? You have the hope of food this afternoon. In just over an hour, you, you have that hope and, and we need hope to cope. We need hope to cope through life, not just through a church service, okay? And, and, and the more turbulent the times that we live through, the more important it becomes to possess hope. And if you've been following along on the news, which I don't really recommend doing too much because, you know, I try to tune in about 10 minutes a day just so I can know what's going on in the world. But let me tell you, it's the most depressing 10 minutes of my entire day, all right? But when you tune into the news, uh, what you learn is that we're living in the middle of a world that's in absolute turmoil. Isn't that the case? I mean, we all knew that was happening in, you know, 2020 and 2021, but, but unfortunately, uh, problems that existed then have just been replaced with other problems, or maybe it's more accurately stated that all the problems we had then, they've just been added to. I mean, if you've been following along, here, here's what's reported, and let me just share it so I can bring some depression to this very joyous occasion. What we're learning is that we're still on the tail end of a global pandemic. What we're learning is that the war between Russia and Ukraine just might plunge our world into World War III. What we're learning is that besides that war, there's another war brewing between parents and school board committees concerning what's appropriate and inappropriate to teach children in the schools. What we learn is that inflation continues to skyrocket. There's now been talks of recession. We've learned about the cartels and their influence of drugs. It's causing crime and violence violence and murder rates to just skyrocket to unprecedented, uh, you know, numbers. And if all that wasn't upsetting enough, what we've just learned is that now the ruthless dictators of North Korea, China, and Russia are now all in possession of intercontinental hypersonic missiles that travel so fast that they can't be shot down. And you're just watching that and you're like, yay, I love living on earth, you know? It's just, it can be so depressing, and friends, this is the problem with living in a world that's in turmoil. It, it can cause us to get depressed. It, it, I, I've been hearing so many reports of people having crippling anxiety and crippling fear. And this is not just Christian people who are like, I know the way it should be, but it's not as God planned. And no, I, even atheists, even irreligious people, just like, I have such anxiety and consternation on the inside when I look at the crazy world that I live in every day. And this is the danger of living through tumultuous, turbulent times. 
It can cause us to become anxious, to become fearful. We can begin to despair. We can lose all hope. And here's one for you. A lot of people, any joy that they once had has now been replaced almost entirely by anger. I mean, can anyone relate to that besides me? I get angry when I look at the way the world is because as a pastor, I study the Bible all week and I just see the way it's supposed to be. And I see that the way it's supposed to be, it's not the way it is. And so just anger can kind of well up in my heart to replace that, that joy that I'm supposed to have because of the hope provided by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Well, friends, here's the deal. The only thing worse than living through tumultuous times is having the people that are living through them be anxious and depressed and fearful and angry. So, I mean, we're just like, we got quite the predicament here, right? And the question begs, what's the answer? What's the solution? You say, I don't want to live my life with anxiety and fear and despair, and I don't want my life to be devoid of all joy. So, so, so what do I do? What's the answer? to this dilemma that I find myself in. Well, friends, the answer is found in the text that we're studying today for Easter. Let me read you our passage. The Apostle Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's called us to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Friends, the Apostle Peter wrote this to a group of people, originally he wrote this to a group of people who were living through the most turbulent of times, way worse than what we're living in right now. And Peter tells them, here is the key to not succumbing to despair. Here's the key to overcoming anxiety and fear. Here's how you can have joy in your life even if everything around you is nuts. He says, shift your focus. In a nutshell, he says, shift your focus. He says, stop staring at and focusing in on all that's wrong in your life and in the world. And instead, go ahead and begin focusing on the hope that you have because of Jesus's resurrection from the dead. And he says, this is going to make all the difference. And friends, the reason that we're studying this passage, even though it wasn't originally written to us, we're studying it because though it originally wasn't written to us, it was written for us. Because God wants to share with us, not just the people who lived 2,000 years ago, but with you and with I, the key to living through tumultuous times, but maintaining our joy. And I don't know about you, but I just praise God on this Resurrection Sunday that he gives us his word to help us in practical ways through our lives. I mean, what can be better than living in crazy times and learning the secret to having joy right in the middle of them? I'm so thankful. And I'm also thankful that I have an opportunity here to pass along to you uh, what I've been studying for weeks and weeks now leading up to today. 
So friends, let's jump into the text and just kind of dive in a little deeper on each part. And I'll give you this overview of the sermon, okay? Today, we're going to look at hope as if it was a diamond. All right, you ladies, you can look right down on your finger and you can see that diamond. And you know that a diamond is multifaceted. You can look at it from many different angles and it has beauty from every angle from which you look at it. Well, friends, that's the way it is with hope. Hope is a multifaceted diamond. And today, through our five points, we're just looking at hope from five different angles. But every one of which is beautiful. And every one of which will help us to appreciate the glorious hope that we have that's been made possible by Jesus and made possible through his resurrection from the dead. You guys ready to jump in? All right, here we go. Number one, the first thing Peter teaches us about hope is the source of hope. And friends, we see this in the first part of verse three, where Peter writes this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And it's real simple. Here, Peter is simply identifying the source of our hope. And he's saying that the source of our hope is God the Father. Maybe an illustration will help. It's like this. About 2,000 feet that way flows the mighty Connecticut River. Across the street, we have St. Patrick's Cemetery. And behind that flows the mighty Connecticut River. It's a river that's like 400 miles long. And if you've ever stood next to it, man, you know it's a magnificent body of water. And maybe you, like me, have looked at the prodigious amount of water that flows through that river. And maybe you've asked yourself, where does all this water come from? Well, you might be surprised to learn that its source is actually a tiny little lake 262 miles north of here in Pittsburgh, New Hampshire, which is just south of the Canadian border. It's a tiny little lake known as Fourth Connecticut Lake. And as you can see, after only 3,000 feet, Fourth Connecticut Lake flows into a much larger body of water, but its source is the much smaller Fourth Connecticut Lake. Well, friends, what the Apostle Peter is teaching us here in this first point, in this first angle from which we're observing hope, is that like the Connecticut River, hope has its source. Okay, hope comes from somewhere. More accurately stated, hope comes from someone. And Peter says it comes from God the Father. And he says this because, I mean, God looked down from heaven on uh, the plight of mankind. And when he looked down from heaven, he saw that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. He saw that we were obeying the devil, the commander of the evil powers in the unseen world. He saw us following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, which the apostle Paul says made us objects of God's wrath. But in his great mercy, he provided for us the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we find forgiveness of sins, through whom we escape God's wrath, and through whom we receive the hope of heaven. And since all of this is made possible by God, Peter begins his teaching on hope by teaching us about the source of hope, which he says is God the Father. Number two, the second thing that Peter teaches us about hope 
is the foundation of hope. And we see this in the second part of verse 3, where Peter says that our hope is built on the foundation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, friends, I learned the hard way the importance of having a firm foundation when building something. I think it was roughly 12 years ago now that my family got into rabbits, okay? We started buying them to have as pets for ourselves. We started breeding them to provide pets for others. We just had a, a fun little time, but I knew, all right, we have to have somewhere for them to live. And so I don't know what came over me, okay? Because my giftings do not lie in construction, but something came over me and I said, I am going to build my own bunny hutch. And so I did. Well, let me tell you, it was a death trap for my children. I don't know how they're still alive, you know? It was the worst job ever. It had the flimsiest foundation. And I live in this quiet little, uh, you know, suburban neighborhood. But you would think it was Tornado Valley in Oklahoma, okay? The wind whips through there at night. And the wind just destroyed uh, this little uh, rabbit hutch that I built, this pathetic little rabbit hutch uh, that I built, okay? And there was no resurrection of my hutch. It went down, and it was gone, and it stayed dead, all right? So I said to myself, you know what, what was I thinking? I have a master carpenter neighbor. Let me ask him to go ahead and build us a hutch. And so I hired him and he built this hutch. And can you see those little braces in the back, you know? Uh, those braces are important, so I learned, you know? And it was part of its firm foundation. And over the last decade or so, we've had some unbelievable storms blow through our neighborhood. But this thing has stood the test of time. I just sold it recently to another breeder because we just had our fifth baby and I don't have any time for bunnies, okay? Uh, <laughs> and so we sold it, but the thing is as good as new because it was built with just that solid, solid foundation. Well, what Peter is telling us in verse three is that the resurrection of Jesus, it's a firm and sturdy foundation, you say, what makes the resurrection of Jesus such a sturdy foundation for our hope? Well, I think Christian apologist Lee Strobel does a great job of explaining it succinctly. Take a look. I like to look at the evidence for the resurrection in four categories. The first one is, did Jesus die on the cross? Was he dead? Virtually every scholar on planet Earth concedes that Jesus was dead after crucifixion. We have no record of anyone anywhere ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Uh, even the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, published a peer-reviewed scientific medical study of the evidence for the death of Jesus and said clearly the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Even the atheist New Testament scholar Gerd Ludeman says historically it's indisputable that Jesus was dead, so Jesus was dead. The second category of evidence is the early accounts we have for the resurrection. In other words, I used to think as an atheist that the resurrection was a legend, and that took a long time to develop in the ancient world. But what I learned is that we have preserved for us a creed of the earliest Christian church, a creed that is a eyewitness-based report of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this creed has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus. Within months. That is historical gold. So we've got a newsflash from ancient history on the resurrection. Third category of evidence is the empty tomb. And the best evidence for that is even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted the tomb was empty. Because when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, what the opponents said was, oh, well, um, the disciples stole the body. 
Now they're conceding the tomb's empty, they're just trying to explain how it got empty. So everybody's conceding the tomb was empty. How did it get empty is really the issue, and that goes to the fourth category of evidence, which is eyewitnesses. You know, for most of what we know about ancient history, it comes from one or maybe two sources of information. And yet, for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources, inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. That is an avalanche of historical data. So you put all that together, and you have a really good case for Easter. So friends, do you see it? The resurrection of Jesus, it's an event that is well attested to in history. It's attested to as good as, if not better than, any other ancient historical event that took place. So it's our firm foundation of hope. And what that means practically speaking is this. We have good reason to believe that one day we will be resurrected from the dead to eternal life because Jesus was. In other words, it's his resurrection from the dead that gives us hope for ours. And so we see that the resurrection of Jesus, it's the firm foundation of our hope. That's the second thing Peter wants to teach us. Now here is the third. The third thing Peter teaches us about hope is the substance of hope. And we see this in the first part of verse 4 where heaven is described by Peter as an inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. But what Peter's saying here is that we don't hope for something immaterial, we hope for something material. We hope for an inheritance, one that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now, when I think of the word inheritance, I can't help but think of a TV show my sister recently turned me on to called The Foods That Built America. And in this show, it highlights the genesis of many of the food giants that now dominate the American food industry. And one of the companies highlighted in a recent episode was the General Foods Corporation. And this is a company that was started by a man named C.W. Post, who originally sold cereal made from the recipe that he stole from the folks who invented Kellogg's cereal. Well, even though he was a thief, he did really well for himself. And he amassed for himself a fortune, which he left in its entirety to his only daughter when he died. So Marjorie Post received in 1914... At the tender age of 27, an inheritance of $20 million, an amount that today would be the equivalent of $526 million. Friends, that's quite the inheritance, right? Well, that's exactly what Peter is saying about heaven. He's saying to us, it's quite the inheritance. And he wants us to know that it's an actual inheritance. I mean, it's like this. In the Old Testament, God told the nation of Israel that they would inherit the land of Canaan. Well, likewise, in the New Testament, the church, Christians, believers, are told that we too will have an inheritance. And just as Israel's inheritance was tangible, it was land, so is the case for believers in New Testament times. And for us today, it's the inheritance of land. 
The Bible calls it the new heavens and the new earth. Friends, specifically, this is the kingdom. One day God will destroy this earth and he'll create a new heavens and a new earth. And when he does, this new heavens and new earth, it's the eternal home for every citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And friends, this is our inheritance, that we get to live in that kingdom under the righteous rule and reign of Jesus Christ forever. And this is quite the inheritance. I mean, the world we live in now, it's messed up because of sin. Because of sin, we have sickness, we have suffering, we have disease, we have death, we have natural disaster, we have war, like the ones we're learning about on the news. We have all these problems, and it's because of sin. But the new kingdom... The new heavens, the new earth, under the righteous rule of Jesus Christ, is not going to have any of the issues that we have here. Now, I don't care which uh, side of the aisle you're on politically. You watch the leaders of this world, and you get frustrated at times. Well, friends, let me tell you, under the new heavens and the new earth, we live under the righteous rule and reign of Jesus, okay? So it's President Jesus. It's King Jesus. It's Czar Jesus, okay? It's about Jesus, and there's not going to be any frustration under his righteous rule. He made us. He knows how we work best. And he's going to have things set up just so. And Peter says this is the substance of your hope. You're not hoping for something intangible. You are hoping for something real. It's not like a, like a spiritual inheritance. It's a real inheritance. And he says this is the substance of your hope. It's heaven. And implicit in the text is an encouragement for us to go ahead and live for the inheritance of heaven instead of uh, some earthly inheritance. He's encouraging us to go ahead and live for the inheritance of heaven instead of living for anything that this world has to offer. Because what Peter is arguing is this, the inheritance of heaven, it is greater than anything this world has to offer. And friends, this is what is meant when he says that God, take a look, has an inheritance for us that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What he's saying is this, an earthly inheritance, it, it can be squandered, it can be lost, it, it can be stolen. I mean, if it's an earthly inheritance and it's material, uh, it could be burned in a fire and just it's gone forever. And even if you don't squander it, hey, eventually a generation or two, it's going to be gone, even if you handle it wisely. And Peter's saying this, the inheritance that God has for you, which is heaven, it's not like an earthly inheritance. The inheritance of heaven cannot be destroyed, nor can it be corrupted, nor can its magnificence ever fade in any way. Now, it's like this. Every now and then I get my wife flowers. And when I do, I get my wife a rose. So I mosey on into Stop and Shop. I go in that little refrigerator section that's got the roses in there. And I'm surprised sometimes that I don't get kicked out because when the workers walk by, they just see petals being tossed everywhere because they're always rotten. Because no sooner does the flower get cut than its beauty begins to fade. So I got to rummage through there to find a good one for my wife, which I should probably do today because today's my 18-year anniversary. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. My wife's so lucky. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 18 years of bliss. All right. 
Peter saying that heaven is nothing like a rose here on earth. Heaven is nothing like a rose here on earth. Oh, it's beautiful like a rose, but it's nothing like a rose in that its magnificence, its beauty, it never fades. It never spoils. It never gets old. It forever and for all eternity maintains all of its unbelievable magnificence. Peter says this is the substance of hope. It's heaven. Number four. The fourth thing that Peter teaches us about hope is the fulfillment of hope. The fulfillment of hope. And we see this in verse five where Peter says that Christians are those who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed, let's say this out loud, in the last time. When is our salvation going to be revealed? Let's say it out loud again. In the last time. In our last point, Peter told us that heaven is the substance of our hope. And here, he tells us that the second coming of Christ is when we'll experience the fulfillment of our hope. So that thing that we hope for, which is our inheritance, which is heaven, it is something that we will one day uh, experience. Our hope will be fulfilled. And it'll be fulfilled at the time of the second coming of Christ. Friends, we often make this mistake. We make the mistake of thinking that our salvation was something that happened in the past, that, that our salvation was a singular event that took place when we prayed the sinner's prayer, and now our salvation is complete. But friend, that's a very narrow understanding of salvation. That's a very incomplete understanding of salvation. You say, what does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible teaches that our salvation begins when we trust Jesus to forgive us of our sins, but is only completed, as Peter puts it, in the last time. Now, when you study that phrase throughout the New Testament, in the last time, it's always a reference to the second coming of Christ. That time in history that still uh, is future, where Jesus will return to the earth physically, just like he did at his first coming. And when he returns, he's coming to overthrow the kingdom of Satan and to establish a kingdom of his own. The eternal kingdom that God the Father has appointed him to rule over forever. And all of human history is marching towards this time where Jesus will rule over that kingdom and friends, our salvation isn't complete until that kingdom is established and until we're living in it. So friends, God the Father, he's what? He's the source of our hope. The resurrection of Jesus, it's what? It's the foundation of our hope. Heaven, heaven is what? It's the substance of our hope. And the second coming of Christ, it's what? It's when we'll finally experience the fulfillment of our hope. All right, one more point, one more point. The last thing that Peter teaches us about hope is this, friends. He teaches us about the joy of hope. And this is my favorite point. In other words, the last things he teaches us about hope as he helps us to look at it as a multifaceted diamond, exploring it and understanding it and appreciating it from every angle. The last thing he teaches us about hope is this, the joy of hope. In other words, the wonderful joy that hope produces in our lives. 
And we see this in verse 6 where Peter writes, in this. And friends, he's referring to the future hope of heaven that he's just written about. In this, in the future hope of heaven, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. He's saying, yeah, the world's messed up and you're living in the midst of turmoil. And everywhere you look around you, you see problems and you see pain and you see suffering and you see the world not as God wants it to be, but you see the world as it is living in, in, in under the curse of sin. He says, but in this, you rejoice. In the hope of heaven, you rejoice. Did he say you rejoice because all your problems disappear? No way. He says you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So he says you can have joy right in the middle of your mess because of your future hope of heaven that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Friends, the future hope of heaven, what does it do practically speaking in the present? And the answer is clear. Peter says it produces joy. It makes you happy. Not because your whole world is going uh, your way and everything's working out as you want it to. No, it produces joy right in the midst of all your problems. Why? Because the joy that's produced from the hope of heaven is a joy that is not dependent upon circumstances. Here's what the world can offer you. Temporary happiness. The world says you can be happy when everything's going your way. But I would ask you, what good is that? Because how often is everything going your way? I mean, how often do all the stars align? Your kids are behaving, you know, your bank account's where you want it to be. Everything at work's going swimmingly. Your marriage is amazing. You're not arguing with any of your family this afternoon over Easter lunch. How often does that happen? Friends, you need the hope that comes from God the Father. The hope that produces joy. Because if you don't have that, a, a happiness and a, and a joy that's not dependent upon circumstances, you're going to be happy for 7.3 seconds throughout your 80-year existence. Because seven seconds, that's about how long all the stars align and everything's perfect in your life. What God has to offer is so much better. It's a joy that's not dependent upon circumstances. I mean, everything can go wrong in your life and be going wrong in your life. You can tune in on the news and hear that the world is worse than ever and you can still have joy because the joy that comes from the hope of heaven, it's not dependent upon circumstances. I mean, nothing that's going on around you changes your eternal reality. That one day, because of the mercy of God and because of your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, you're going to live as a citizen forever in the kingdom of heaven under the righteous rule of Jesus. Your circumstances don't change any of that. No matter how bad things get in your life, that reality is a constant. It's the firm foundation that your hope is built upon. Friends, you need this hope. Follow me here. Peter's kind of given this logical flow of thought. And here's what he's saying. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. Hope gives us joy. And joy helps us to endure every trial. Again, back to what I said at the beginning. 
Some of you are like, the only thing that's getting me through this service that I don't want to be at is the thought of Easter lunch. I can't wait. And the hope of that lunch is what's got you through this. Well, friends, you need hope to get through life. You need hope to get through life. When you have hope, it helps you to endure. You need this hope. Now, I understand that many of you, you already have it. And you've come to Easter uh, Church here at New Day or you've tuned in to Easter online. And, and no matter how you're joining us today, we're so happy to have you. Those of you out in the foyer, we're so glad that, that you decided to be here today. Even though you might have a little one running around your feet, we're so glad that you're here. Some of you have this hope, but others of you, you don't have this hope. You don't have this hope. And so for you, you've looked at everything wrong in the world and you're drowning in a sea of despair. You've become despondent. You've become depressed. Your life's devoid of joy. And friends, that's no way to live. So, so I count it my greatest privilege to be God's representative to you today and on God's behalf to say to you that he doesn't want you living that way. He doesn't want you uh, drowning in despair. He doesn't want you suffering with crippling anxiety and fear because of all the problems of this world. He wants to give you the hope of heaven so that you can have the joy that's not dependent upon circumstance, the joy that can see you through whatever trial you might be going through, whether it's a physical one, a financial one, a relational one, or whatever kind of one. But friends, the only way to have this hope of heaven is through the forgiveness of sins of Jesus. Friends, he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Now I realize the special focus of Easter is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but let's not forget why a resurrection was needed in the first place. A resurrection was needed because Jesus died. And maybe you've always been confused uh, why Jesus had to die. Well, friends, it's simple. When he died on the cross, he was taking upon himself the punishment for sin that you and I deserve. Jesus wanted to satisfy God's sense of justice, but simultaneously, he wanted us to go free. So he just willingly took the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sins, and he just took it upon himself. He said, God, I'll go to the cross where you can pour out your wrath against their sin. I'll take it upon myself so they can go, go free so they can be forgiven, so they can become citizens of heaven and have the hope that produces joy that sees them through this life. That's all messed up, where nothing is as it should be because of sin. Friends, you need that hope today. You need that hope today, whose source is God and whose foundation is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you recognize today your need for that hope, but you also recognize that you don't have that hope, my invitation to you is this. Would you join me in our closing prayer? I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. And in fact, right now, I'm going to ask everyone online and in person, out in the foyer, wherever you're tuning in to this sermon, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? I, I don't want anyone who's doing this to feel self-conscious like they're the only one. So, so if you'd uh, be so kind, would you bow your head, would you close your eyes, and let's just go to God in prayer. And friends, if you need the hope of heaven that produces great joy, the kind that causes you to be happy even in the midst of your mess, even in the midst of a world that's in turmoil, if you need that hope, if you want that hope, but you don't have it, 
Would you pray with me? Not out loud, but in your heart, would you say to God, say, Heavenly Father, I need this hope. Life on planet Earth is crazy. It's filled with so much hurt and so much pain. And I don't know if I can make it through this life without the hope of something better in the life to come. God, I don't want to live in fear and anxiety and in anger and in despair. And I don't want to live a life devoid of joy. God, I need the hope of heaven. But God, I understand the only way to hope is through the forgiveness of sins that you alone can grant to me through my faith in Christ. So God, I'm trusting Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And God, I'm asking you, would you count Jesus's punishment on the cross as my punishment for sin so that I can be forgiven and granted citizenship in the eternal kingdom of Christ? Because God, I want that hope of heaven. I want the hope that produces joy. God, I want that joy that sustains me through the various trials of this life. God, I thank you for this gift of eternal life. God, I thank you for the hope that I now have. God, I praise you for pardoning my sins. I praise you for granting me eternal life. I praise you for making me a citizen of heaven. I thank you for the hope that I have, that everything I'm living through now, it's just temporary. And one day I'll be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, living under the righteous rule of Christ. God, it brings so much peace to my heart. God, may I keep this hope at the forefront of my mind. May I focus 10 times as much on this hope that I now have over and against, focusing in on all the temporary problems of this life. Help me, I pray, because I know as I do, my hope will produce joy and my joy will see me through. God, I give you praise and I pray in the precious name of Jesus who rose from the dead. Amen. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you and we hope to see you again soon.